You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. Sarah Gulseth will be back with us soon. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Uh, Upcoming very soon is the Gateway Creation Conference here in the St. Louis area. And joining us today, Dr. Danny Faulkner. He holds a Master of Science in Physics from Clemson University and and a Master of Arts and a PhD in Astronomy from Indiana University. And uh, he's now an author, speaker, researcher for Answers in Genesis, and uh, one of the presenters at the upcoming Gateway Creation Conference. Dr. Faulkner, thanks for joining us today. Oh, that's my pleasure. It's, it's great to have you back on the coffee hour again to talk about uh, all things creation and and science. Uh, it, it, I remember last year our, conf- our conversation about the conference and um, just really wanting to ask one or two questions and sit and enjoy the the uh, the conversation. You, I remember being um, quite overwhelmed by and just mesmerized by what you had to share with us. Tell us uh, about what you'll be speaking at, uh, what you'll be speaking about at the Gateway Conference this coming year. Okay, I have several presentations. Well, one is talking about design and astronomy. Uh, I've been giving design a lot of thought for years and years and years, and it's one of those things I think we can recognize readily in uh, biological systems. Uh, I'm not so sure we can see it in physical systems so much, but um, I've identified a number of design implications I think we can find in astronomy. I want to share those some of the findings with that. Um, I'm also going to talk about the light travel time problem. This is the question that comes up quite a bit. People are going to frequently ask, well, if the, if the universe is only thousands of years old, how can we see things that are millions of light years away from us? Presumably it would take millions of years for that light to reach us. And I'll be talking about the Galileo affair a bit. Uh, that's, that's the whole thing that happened four centuries ago with uh, Galileo and the authorities at the time when he was teaching uh, uh, heliocentrism over geocentrism. That wasn't the only thing. There are other things that he was teaching too. And unfortunately, that's been um, misreported and mischaracterized by many, many people. Suffice to say, what most people think they know about the Galileo affair probably is wrong. And I'm also going to be talking, uh, kind of related to that a little bit, flat earth. Uh, that's become a thing in the last uh, six years or so, and something I've been battling quite a bit. wrote a book about it. I've been speaking about it and blogging and writing uh, web articles about it for five years now. So I'm uh, pretty in-depth on that subject. Very good. So uh, a lot of topics that maybe aren't um, everyday conversation uh, in in most households, um, <laughs> but why? <laughs> perhaps it is in yours. <laughs> and, and so, um, why is it important for us to consider these? I'd like to unpack these a little bit more, but, but let's start with why is it important to consider these issues today? Well, I think to the Christian, uh, we see the world very differently. We have a different worldview than the non-Christian does. Uh, particularly when it comes to the physical world, biological world, uh, we've got two explanations of how we came here. One's a naturalistic one. We can, for lack of a better term, we can call that evolution, where uh, things arose spontaneously by their by themselves with no no creator, no agent behind it. Uh, that would be not just biological evolution, but geological, cosmic, and astronomical, and evolution, and many other <laughs> manifestations of it. And that's in direct conflict with what we know from Scripture. We're told very uh, very early on in Scripture, the first chapter, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth uh, with some details given to us. And um, really, if 
if they're if evolution is true, if natural origins is true, there's absolutely no need for a creator. Uh, create, creation doesn't fit at all. It's not really compatible, about as compatible as, as oil and water are. You can shake them up for a while and get them to mix, but not for very long. Uh, and so the Christian should not be looking at the world with naturalistic glasses mm-hmm. on. And uh, so design is one of those differences. If, if you're committed to evolution, you, sh- you would be, wouldn't expect to see design. You, ex- you would expect to see chaotic and random events out there. Um, so do we see design? And I think it's, it's very, very apparent to me and many others as well that the world around us does appear to be designed. And I think that's one of the most, one of the biggest takeaways is that we, is that we, we Christians, we creationists, we look at the world very differently than secular people do. So you you shared with us four topics that you'll be addressing at the upcoming Gateway Creation Conference. Uh, you mentioned design astronomy. Can, can you unpack that a little bit for us? Okay. Well, we see that the um, moon has some very interesting features to it. Its orbit and its size, its mass, I should say, are, are unique in the solar system. It has the greatest mass when compared to the planet it orbits than any other natural satellites or, if you will, moons orbiting other planets. Now, the ratio between the Earth and the moon is about 81 to 1. That is, the Earth has 81 times the mass of the moon. You may you may think that's an awful lot, but when you look at the other uh, satellites, natural satellites of the solar system, it's typically thousands, if not millions to one. The closest it comes is one of the uh, satellites of Saturn, I believe, is 4,000 to one. So it's, it's, there's no comparison there. And also the orbit of, of the moon is is unique. It orbits in basically the same plane that the Earth orbits the sun. And no other natural satellite in the solar system does that, even though we know of about 200 of them. They all have other orientations, the most common being uh, in the, uh, the equatorial plane of the planets. And uh, when you take these two factors together, the large, relatively large mass and the unique orbit, uh, this stabilizes the Earth's rotation axis. It's tilted about 23 and a half degrees. Everybody knows that's the cause of the, of the seasons. But as you, uh, as you examine it, you'll find that there are little tweaks, little nug, uh, tugs and nudges that are coming from other bodies in the solar system that would widely change that angle uh, between zero and 90, really, over some period of time. But yet it would still change it. And I think most people would understand readily that that is would be disastrous for living things. You'd have, at some points, most of the Earth's surface in simultaneously in the Arctic or Antarctic and the tropics, which would be chaotic. But the uh, Earth, the Moon's unique orbit and mass ratio stabilizes that with only a couple of degrees. Um, now, I often say in my talk that, that you're allowed to have a few few coincidences, but how many coincidences are you allowed to have before you begin to realize that maybe they're not coincidences at all? And this is just one of the quote-unquote coincidences I, uh, I talk about in my presentation. There are many, many others that strongly suggest uh, design. That's, that's the problem. People who have a secular worldview, a naturalistic worldview, look at these sorts of things and they say, well, it's just the way it turned out. It's just chance. But again, uh, if, if I flipped a coin uh, 20 times and it came up heads every time you saw that taking place for your very eyes, after a while, you begin to realize maybe there's something funny going on. <laughs> maybe I'm, I've got an unfair coin. Maybe I've swept coins on you. It's a double-headed coin or something. And uh, that's, that's what we talk about with design. 
Uh, there, there are other aspects we'll be talking about. That's just one of them. Fascinating. Now, the just if something's off just a little bit, you mentioned that that uh, like a region could be both uh, like uh, extremely cold and extremely hot. It's like having snow and eighty degrees all in the same week, like we have here in the Midwest. So, or go, yeah, or uh, I should say, being a polar and 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 Arctic regions at the same time, which means you would have uh, months of continual sunlight and months of continual darkness. So it wouldn't be necessarily from one day to the next or in the same day, but you would go to very harsh, very cold, sub-zero temperatures for some time, and then you would have uh, tropical conditions for some time. And I don't think there are any plants or animals that can <laughs> really survive in that kind of environment. Absolutely not. I, I think we've seen the uh just the, the frailty of plants and animals just from the, the horrible freeze that Texas went through this past yeah. year. Yeah, plants you are designed to, to plants, plants and animals both are designed for certain, certain range of temperatures and other factors and uh, ones that are designed for one area, they don't generally do well in other areas. You mentioned light travel time problem. Uh, can you tell me more about this? Yeah. Uh, the, again, I mentioned that if, if the universe is only thousands of years old, how can we see the most distant objects? But, you know, Adam had a had a, a, a similar problem, a bigger problem, though, because he was made on day six and God made the stars on day four, just two days earlier. And the nearest star is uh, outside the solar system is like, like four and a third light years away. So did Adam not see any stars for at least four years? Did the stars slowly wink on from you know, one one year to the next over many, many centuries? I don't think so. The reason being is because uh, at the end of the creation week, God pronounced that the creation was very good. In fact, day four, he said creation there was good. And what this goodness implies or entails is uh, completeness. The, the things that he made were functioning as they were intended to function. And on the day four account, we're given several functions that the astronomical bodies have, primarily the sun and the moon, but also the stars. And they cannot fulfill their functions if they would not have been visible right away. So obviously, we need to get light here in a matter of two days or less for, for Adam to have seen uh, a full range of stars. Otherwise, again, the function would not be there. So I, I've proposed, and I'll go in more detail in my presentation, but I propose that on day four, God formed a miraculous sort of thing to bring the light here. He did a similar thing, I think, on day three. If you look at the count there, plants just didn't materialize instantly out of nothing. God caused them to grow very rapidly out of the ground. That's what the uh, words used there in verses 11 and 12 of, of Genesis 1 in the day three account. It talks about the earth uh, bringing forth these various uh, plants. And uh, my friend Eric Hovind in the, in the, in the book, uh, in the movie he did, uh, Genesis Paradise Lost, he did an excellent job of showing how uh, those plants came forth on day three and also how the land animals and birds came about on day four, five and six. Um, same sort of thing I think happened on day four. God rapidly brought the light. Wasn't, it wasn't uh, through a physical process. It wasn't through a natural process. And it uh, wasn't instantaneous either. A lot of things, a lot of mistakes people make about the creation week. 
Hmm. So much more to learn. We have a, a few more topics just to get a, a brief insight on so that uh, to prepare us for the upcoming Gateway Creation Conference here in St. Louis. We're talking with Dr. Danny Faulkner of uh, Answers in Genesis. He'll be one of the speakers at the upcoming Gateway Creation Conference. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. Sarah's away today. She'll be back with us soon. We are talking about the upcoming Gateway Creation Conference. Our guest today, Dr. Danny Faulkner. He's a researcher, author, and speaker for Answers in Genesis and one of the presenters at the upcoming Gateway Creation Conference and Dr. Faulkner, you shared with us uh, a little bit of some of the topics that you'll be presenting on. Um, and, and you mentioned, I believe it was the earlier, you mentioned, uh, I think, the Galileo Affair. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, the way the way it's usually put forth is that Galileo was uh, minding his own business, was uh, teaching what he'd found that showed that the uh, Earth is, is not the center of the universe, but other. Uh, it's one of several planets orbiting around the sun. And then religious authorities got all worked up over this, and they began to persecute him, and they tried him for heresy, and it was all very bad. That's the way it's generally portrayed. The situation is a lot more complex than that. Uh, actually, he was not the first to uh, talk about this. Uh, a fellow named Nicholas Copernicus had published a book on this about uh, 60 years before Galileo began talking about it. In fact, before Gal- long before Galileo was born, actually, a year or so before he was born. And so uh, a few years, about 20 years before he was born. And so Galileo uh, uh, was was convinced of the, of the heliocentric model, and he began to talk about it, began to talk about it more and more. And uh, the other scientists are what really got upset. It was not the theologians. In fact, when he first wrote about it, he had the blessings of the Pope and other church officials. The other scientists began to complain because he was upsetting all of the established astronomy at that point, which is true. Um, so it was a scientific squabble, not a religious religion versus science sort of squabble. Uh, he was called up and investigated. They told him, okay, cool, let's stop talking about this. And he did uh, for a number of years, but then he came back and wanted to address it again after nearly two decades. And he wanted to write a book uh, in Italian. And, um, which is different because at that point people generally wrote in, in Latin for scholarly works, but he wanted to reach a common audience and he had to get permission from the Pope to publish. He was within working within the church. Most people did back then. Uh, that's just the way that things worked. Uh, education and so forth was done within the confines of the church. It was well, far less secular society than we have today. And the Pope gave his agreement. Uh, he said, however, you have to represent my position, which is geocentrism, which he agreed to. And in this book, he, Galileo proceeded to insult the Pope. Uh, and the Pope took real umbrage over this. 
Um, he made the made the geocentrist and the Pope's position look silly. He even used some inflammatory terms in there. Um, even in the introduction, he was required to put a disclaimer that said, what you're about to read is a fantasy, uh, not reality. And in there he said, as any fool knows, the earth does not move. So what he just did was call anybody who disagreed with him a fool. Uh, Galileo was just looking for trouble, it would seem to me. And that infuriated the Pope, and any support he had rapidly evaporated. And that's what resulted in his second uh, second trial. He ended his life uh, for the last eight or ten years in house arrest. He was an old man by the time this all happened. And it wasn't until, until about the time Galileo came across that writings about heliocentrism like that of Copernicus were actually uh, banned. Uh, Copernicus's work had been uh, okay to read for 75 years. Nobody got upset about it. So this is usually portrayed as a uh, religion opposing science sort of question. And uh, that's got it completely wrong. It's again a squabble between the scientists more than anything. And uh, we're getting the wrong re- lesson drawn from this. They're trying to say, well, you creationists, you're just like the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, you're you're uh, criticizing uh, real good science here. Well, if you really want to make that comparison, you got to realize what Galileo was doing. He was, sta- he was, he was uh, uh, challenging the status quo. Well, today the status quo is evolution. <laughs> so if you really want to make this, this comparison, then we creationists, we're the Galileos, and the evolutionists, they're the Roman Catholic Church. So, uh, again, this whole thing has been fouled up. It's been misinterpreted, mischaracterized. So my thought will be kind of uh, clear some of, the, some of the erroneous things out of the way and, and really discuss what really happened. And I think the, the last item you had mentioned or the last topic you may be covering is uh, flat earth uh, being, um, I, I guess, a little more popular in, uh, in popular news in the last year. What will you be addressing concerning the topic of flat earth? Oh, well, this thing blew up uh, six, seven years ago uh, by using the Internet and social media. Uh, I've first learned about this, about this whole thing about a little over five years ago. It's making vast inroads, has made them into the church. Uh, a lot of professing Christians now are, are sucked into this. And it's just really, really bad. It's uh, making Christians look very foolish. And the arguments are ridiculously bad. I have been investigating it. I've been going to flat earth conventions. I've been to three of them. I've interviewed scads of flat earthers. I have flat earther friends now. I've met at these conventions. I've written uh, over, on the last count, over 20 articles or blogs that are on the Answers to Genesis website. And in addition to that, I uh, published about a year and a half ago a book uh, about flat earth as well. It's an insidious problem. It's split churches. It's divided families. And it's a real threat I think, the Christian world today. So I'm doing my little part to combat this. What are you looking forward to most about the upcoming Gateway Creation Conference, Dr. Faulkner? I think doing it in person. <laughs> Last year, I was so <laughs> disappointed. I was an invited speaker, and uh, they had to cancel because of COVID-19. They decided to go ahead and do it online, which I was happy to do. But, you know, it's not the same as actually being there and meeting with people. And I really do enjoy going to these conferences and interacting with people. 
I'll have them come up and ask questions. Uh, I sometimes have questions that stump me. I get some good ideas from people who do that. And I really miss that, that interaction. So I, to me, that's, that's the most important thing that I'm looking forward to is meeting people and actually being there. Man, questions to stump the professor. That sounds like a fun challenge. <laughs> yeah, it happens often enough. You might matter. You know, I was a university professor for years, and many times my students would say, well, this this may be a dumb question. And I would interrupt and say, no, I haven't heard any dumb questions yet, but you can try if you want. And usually when they ask that question, it's just really was kind of a way out there, far out there sort of question. And most of the time, it was actually a very good question. And sometimes I knew the answer, sometimes I didn't. And uh, so I love getting those kind of questions. Very good. Very good. Joining us now is Hannah Klein. She's one of the coordinators for the Gateway Creation Conference. Hannah, thanks so much for joining us on the Coffee Hour. Thank you for having me on. In addition to Dr. Faulkner from Answers in Genesis that you've just been listening to, we're excited to also welcome Robert Hill, astronomer from Bob Jones University. He's going to be talking about arguments against the Big Bang model, both the good arguments and the not so good arguments. And then we'll have Russ Humphreys, physicist formerly from Sandia National Labs, and now he's with Logos Research Associates. He'll be presenting his work on developing a creationist cosmology. Um, and Doug Smith, um, a PhD student specializing in Hebrew and Old Testament studies, will be talking about the Hebrew of Genesis chapter 1, specifically the firmament in day, in day 2 of Genesis 1. So our conference theme this year is taken from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse shows his handiwork. And in addition to these presentations, we'll have panel discussions and maybe if the weather cooperates, maybe a stargazing session for people who are willing to stay late. The conference is going to be held June 24th and 25th at the Rock Church St. Louis in Bowen, Missouri, and live stream access is also available. It's our prayer that this conference will be an encouragement to everyone who can come and that it will serve to make much of Jesus. So for more information about the Gateway Creation Conference, visit our website at creationconf.com, Creation. C-O-N-F dot com. And the dates for the conference this year uh, taking place both in person and online. What are the dates again? June 24 and 25. Very good. June 24 and 25. You can find more information at creationconf.com, creationconf.com. Outstanding. Looking forward to a great conference and uh, just a, a great lineup of speakers Um why, Hannah, from your perspective, why is it important for us to continue to have conferences like this, the, the Gateway Creation Conference? Well, God created the universe to show us something about what he's like, among other things. You know, Romans 120 talks about that. And so as we study the things that God has made, we can learn more about him and it can help us to appreciate his grandeur and majesty. Mm. Very good. Very good. The Creation Conference, creationconf.com. Our guest today, Dr. Danny Faulkner. He's a researcher, author, and speaker for Answers in Genesis and one of the presenters at the upcoming Creation Conference. Dr. Faulkner, thanks so much for joining us on the Coffee Hour today. You're very welcome. And Hannah Klein, one of the coordinators for the Gateway Creation Conference. Hannah, thanks so much for being our guest on the Coffee Hour. You're welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.